Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Forbidden Speech, The Raw Truth, with your host, Christina Rivera. In this savvy broadcasting series, we delve into hot topics affecting us all. With cancel culture and big tech censoring any opposing ideas and thoughts outside of mainstream ideology, it has become more important than ever that we tell the raw truth about everything from U.S. world politics, COVID, Christianity, and everything in between. We invite all points of view to come and share their perspective honestly and respectfully. Hi, Isaac Stonefish. Welcome to Savvy Broadcasting for our Forbidden Speech, the Raw Truth series. I'm so grateful to have you here today. You are not only a former Beijing correspondent for Newsweek, you've also written a wonderful new book, America Second, How America's Elites Are Making China Stronger. Wow. And I've heard a lot of ch about China in the news recently, but you'll be able to fill us in about what we don't understand what's going on in the background. And uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to talk China, U.S.-China relations, and the Chinese Communist Party. So tell me, what brought you to working as a correspondent uh, in China or in Beijing? How did that come about? I was born in Indiana, grew up in Syracuse, a suburb of Syracuse, actually. Loved my parents, my brothers, but wanted to get as far away as possible. So we started going <laughs> to China in high school, got the bug, moved there after college, lived there for about six years, and then realized, okay, I think I have spent enough time here and <laughs> I am ready to go back to the States. So tell me, was it really hard to learn the culture and the language? Because I'm sure it's vastly different than living here in the US. It was, and I, I still feel like there's such an ocean that I don't know, but it was a really fun thing to dip my toe into and try to wrap my head around. Yeah, I love it. And then what do most Americans not get about China or Beijing? I, I'm curious because I've never been there. So what, what do we get wrong as Americans that we don't understand about the culture? Part of it is a radical diversity of the place. There's mm -hmm. such a diversity of viewpoints around China itself, around Taiwan, around gay rights, around Christianity. Mm -hmm. It's really a lot more diverse than gets filtered into the States. And I think also people 
don't give the Communist Party enough credit for being an actual Communist Party and being mm. a Leninist political organization. I think they think, oh, China's economy is so developed, its politics must be in some ways similar to ours, but they're so radically different. Really? Wow, that's fascinating. So what brought you to where we are today, where you actually wrote America Second? What was the impetus for writing it? I got frustrated when I came back to the States about a decade ago to hear American policymakers, to hear American business people speak about China, not the way that Chinese people do, but the way that the Communist Party did. And I wanted to understand how some of these language patterns, how some of these sayings got transmitted in the United States. And I was also just very curious as to how Hollywood was portraying China and why it was this sort of fanciful, unrealistic views of Chinese as opposed to grappling with any of the real issues faced on the ground there. Yeah. And what could we learn as Americans um, about China that going forward? Because I'm, I'm thinking unwittingly, we hurt ourselves, our own economy, our own uh, country with our closed minded ideas of what we think China is all about. I think that's exactly right. And I think mm -hmm. one thing that really worries me about Beijing's overreaction to COVID mm -hmm. and, and shutting the country basically entirely to outsiders is that Americans are not having opportunities to go to China, to see for themselves, to study Chinese there, to you know, meet Chinese people on the ground there. So I, I hope that opportunity reemerges after Beijing relinquishes mm -hmm. on COVID. Now, is it is a culture I, I've heard is very closed culture, like they like to keep China, China, and really not have us mix and have new people come stay there. I don't think it's as easy to become, say, a Chinese citizen, is it? It's not. They're, they're very restrictive about giving out citizenship, you know, very different mm -hmm. from the United States in that way, in that you, know, you go, you move to China, you live there, perhaps you're even, you know, of Chinese extraction, it's very hard for you to get a Chinese passport. And it's not the same kind of immigrant ethos that we have in the United States and that they have in other countries. Now, also, your book covered there are certain ways other high influential people in our U.S. society, as well as politicians, have unwittingly done things to um, hurt our ideals in China, um, like how Walt Disney destroyed the free Tibet movement. I was like, what? <laughs> I, I was pretty shocked as I did the research to find the way that some major corporations and some major individuals, wittingly or unwittingly, because it's always hard to know motive, mm -hmm. uh, you know, acted in ways that were really repressive towards human rights issues, towards you know, beleaguered groups like the Tibetans, uh, towards the people in the region of Xinjiang, which yeah. is in Northwest China, and where upwards of a million Muslims and other minorities have been mm. put in concentration camps. There's just been this, these trends over the last couple of decades that haven't gotten all that much attention about ways that people in the United States have suppressed speech mm. as it's gone against the party. Wow, and now, you know, I know I've heard about the Uyghurs uh, and there being a camp for them. Um, maybe there's things we can do with our pocketbook to help with certain things we care about. How can Americans do things in a more constructive manner without just saying, okay, they're the Communist Party or it's way over there, it's not our problem. There's a lot of really wonderful organizations in the United States that work to shine light on the situation in Xinjiang or help Uyghur refugees 
in the United States, there's the Uyghur Human Rights Project, there's a lot of Tibet-related organizations, there's a lot of human rights organizations like Human Rights Watch that do a lot of really fantastic work on Xinjiang and on Chinese rights issues in general. There's an organization called Human Rights in China. So a lot of really good groups that you know are really grateful when people from America or all over the world donate to them. Well, there's a wonderful guy that had come on our show several times. He's written fiction books, but he's um, been to Nepal and he's made it his mission that he started a charity in Nepal and goes there every single year, helps out this village in Nepal. And, you know, you don't think about it. You're like, ah, it's on the other side of the world, but we are in this one globe together and we do interconnect and what happened over in other countries, China and Nepal, whatever, it does affect us all over the world. We are, you know, it's like a ripple in a pond. We are, we are. That, that's well said. And that's one of the things I really talk about at length at America Second is just how what happens in China no longer stays in China. And Same US here. Corporations, <laughs> exactly. U.S. corporations saying or doing things in China has impacts for them in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because we think, okay, if we want to, if we get taxed, say, when we have goods go over to overseas, and so we'll just start taxing other countries. At this point, everyone's getting taxed up the wazoo, and that just adds on to the cost of whatever we buy as a consumer. Um, So how can we make it more even or more fair for all countries? Do you have any ideas about that? Gosh, no, it, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. And mm-hmm. it, it's difficult to know. I think there's this big debate in economics about you know, strength versus fairness and mm-hmm. equality versus size of the pie. You know, it, mm-hmm. If we restrict opportunities to invest in China, is that going to hurt Americans because they'll have less of an ability to increase their economic worth? Or is it beneficial because it doesn't support certain pernicious investments? So mm-hmm. I, I think it's an important question to discuss. And it's one with no easy answers. Yeah, you know, it's true. Because I remember a number of years ago, I was working in a corporation and they had taken um, one of our departments and sent it over to India. And I at first was really angry. I was like, hey, how about us over here? Um, And and they were about to do that to our accounting department. They chose not to at the last minute. Um, But, you know, it's not a, a... it's not a quick, easy question or answer, because like you said, those people we ended up working with in that department were Indians and they all got jobs that prior they didn't have options to than now they did, but hey, then there were people here who lost jobs. So it's not an easy plus. I mean, you'd like to say, let's just take care of ourselves. Um, but you know, like I said, we are a ripple in the pond and you know, maybe we can do both. It's challenging, it, yeah. it is really challenging. Yeah. So what do you really, really hope will be the number one thing that anyone who reads your book will take away from it? I hope they understand that Beijing is more influential in the United States than they thought. And the second thing I hope they understand is that there's a world of difference between China and the Chinese Communist Party. Just like the U.S. government is not Americans, the Chinese government is not the Chinese people. Boom. Boom. I love that you said that because I think so many people confuse, well, I don't like that because I don't like the communist party. Well, the Chinese people are just Chinese people. It is their culture. Their culture is Chinese, but that isn't the party. And the same here, whether we have a Democrat, Republican, or whatever we have in office, it's not who we are as Americans. Often who's up front doesn't represent at all a good majority of Americans. Um, so to really keep the idea that, hey, these are people, they have a different culture, different understanding, different perspective of how they see the world, but the party or the people ruling isn't necessarily the people. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. A real 
between the two of them. Yeah, and I, I think all of the different Asian countries have so much to offer and are so uniquely different. I've always wanted to go to Japan myself, and hopefully I'll make it there someday. Um, but before we end out here, uh, what is the top thing you'd like people to um, learn as far as what's a myth about China that you'd like them to take away that's not real? There's a perception that the Chinese really plan ahead, that they're playing this 100-year game. And I, I think just like Americans and like people over, it's very, very difficult to plan and mm -hmm. that there's a lot more seat of the pants type thinking in China and the Chinese Communist Party. And yeah. that we should say, oh, well, if they're saying we're planning for something 40 years in the future, they can't do that. None of us can do that. And let's see what they do as opposed to what they say. Exactly. And what, what changes as time goes on, because none of us has a crystal ball as far as I know. <laughs> exactly. Where can people get a copy of America Second or find out more about you if they want you to come speak somewhere? So America Second is available at local bookstores around the country. For those who want to order it online, it's available at Target, Walmart, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and, and spots like that. And I have a website, IsaacStonefish.com, and my corporate website is StrategyRisks.com. Awesome. Well, I really, really like to thank you again, Isaac Stonefish, for coming to share your brilliant wisdom today on Beijing and China. And thank you for coming to Savvy Broadcasting's Forbidden Speech. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You betcha. Yeah. Like, subscribe, and share this episode. To listen to more Forbidden Speech or Savvy episodes, visit SavvyBroadcasting.com. To find out about our paid sponsorship opportunities or how to become a guest, email Christina at LifeUnscriptedRadio.com. 